A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. Not only is it ideal to have a good variety of foods available to us at the grocery store, but a good variety of where the food comes from. I'm Stephanie Hoff with the Midwest Farm Report, talking with Bill Tracy. He's with the Agronomy Department at the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences. He says interest is growing among both researchers and the culinary arts for local foods. And here in Wisconsin, local produce can be hard to come by in December. That's where the research comes in. Bill Tracy explains what goes into developing new seed varieties, but first explains why we shouldn't depend on a few regions for the majority of our food. There's different ways to look at variety. And like you said, you go in the grocery store and you get kind of blown away. And it's wonderful. I mean, I can remember back when grocery stores were not so wonderful in terms of the produce aisle. But now you know, they actually put those produce sections, almost every store, when you walk in the store, that's the first thing you see because it's just amazing, right? And um, and that's great, but what kind of variety, if you look a little closer, if you go to the, another supermarket or another or another, they all pretty much have the same thing. So what I'm getting at here is you asked about variety. One of the things that this whole farm-to-flavor uh, kind of thing is actually about reinvigorating local food systems. And almost all that stuff you see in the grocery store comes from probably California. We know what's happening in California in terms of the environment. We know that farmers are plowing up or not not planting thousands of acres because there's not enough water. We really do need to find other places to get our food from. And so that's part of the variety that that um, that you're that you see uh, is is where is where is it coming from? And a lot of folks in Wisconsin, Madison area, uh, where we are very lucky to have these fabulous farmers markets. That food is coming from here. A lot of what the farm to flavor work is is about finding varieties that work well on local farms because what would work well in the Central Valley of California does not work well here. That's a really important part of the variety to think about. As we know, Wisconsin's growing season is limited unless you have tools such as a greenhouse or other kinds of indoor agriculture. So, Bill, let's talk about some of those traits, and maybe your work can be an example of this. Are Wisconsin researchers that are focused on Wisconsin food what kind of traits are they looking for to, to your point, reinvigorate our local food system? One thing that we have here a lot of that they have less of in California, because we're humid here, we have a humid climate, is fungal diseases. So we really need to put effort into improving disease resistance uh, because we don't want to increase our local food system at the expense of using more fungicides. So one of the things to improve the system is to actually look for disease resistance and when you have disease resistance or insect resistance, that actually extends the life of a crop. I mean, you think about it, it's obvious, but you know, maybe immediately think about it, is if you, uh, if you get rid of a debilitating disease, that crop is going to live longer and farmers are going to be able to harvest out of it longer. So that's one way. Of course, a lot of folks um, are looking at season extension, and greenhouses are, of course, very expensive, and they're very um, energy consumptive. The hoop houses, which you see a lot out in the countryside, people often think they're greenhouses, I'm sure, but these hoop houses are unheated structures. We have breeders at Madison and other places that are breeding crops adapted to be grown in hoop houses. And hoop houses can easily extend the growing season, depending on the crop, a month on either side of when our frost dates are. So 
get stuff started a month earlier and finish up harvesting a month later. And for some crops like spinach and cold weather crops, they can extend the season almost all year without any heat, just the, just the energy from the sun on those, on those um, so-called hoop houses. And, but those, those hoop houses need uh, specially bred crops that are adapted to living in there. One adaptation to that kind of crop would be actually uh, a crop that's not, you know, some tomato plants can get enormous and you don't want those in your hoop house. You want plants that are more compact and things like that. So there's lots of adaptations that uh, breeders uh, can work with farmers and uh, extend the season. Who determines uh, that work that, that you do? Is it consumer demand? Is it industry demand? That's a great question. Hopefully, and well, I'll say in my case, and I think most of my colleagues are, are the same, is we try to listen to consumers. I'm often going to farmers markets and asking people what they like and that kind of thing. More and more, and this is what the farmers flavor thing is about, is that uh, we listen to chefs and what they want. And, uh, and also not just chefs, but industrial food workers in the sense of high throughput crops and things that are easier for them to process when they're uh, preparing food for like the UW housing service or school cafeterias or hospitals. So I've talked to those people. I won't say I talk to them on a regular basis, but there are, there are articles about what they think uh, they need. And then um, also the local farmers. And I also work very closely. And really the reason the job, my job as a sweet corn breeder here at the university of Wisconsin is Wisconsin is the third leading producer of sweet corn in the country and that's because we process a lot of sweet corn. We have canneries and freezing plants. I meet with those folks a couple of times during the summer, and we have a big conference in the winter, and they're always uh, talking to me about their needs and things like that. So you take all that information together and you say then, okay, there's a lot of pie in the sky here and things that I can't do, but what can I really do that will answer some of these questions? Another thing folks probably don't think about is some of the logistics behind research and developing new varieties of produce. Uh, sure. Let's talk time and money. <laughs> the time, um, it depends on the crop. Some crops you can turn around really quickly. Uh, snap beans, for example, you can get like five generations per year if you have a greenhouse, whereas other crops take more time. And then if we're talking about Trees, of course, we're talking in the range of 20 to 30 years. Uh, I would say in the sweet corn variety, it's probably 10 years from I make from when I make the first cross to before farmers are evaluating these varieties, at least 10 years, maybe 12. And that's a long time, but I also have to say that the pipeline is always full. Every year, I'm starting something new. So every year, we get to the 12th or 13th year or the fourth, whatever, whatever year. Once you get the pipeline going, then, then everything's fine. This is the reason why it's very tragic when a plant breeding program stops because then the, then everything in the pipeline essentially dies. And if you try to restart that program, then let's say 10 years later, we get some new budget money and we're, we're able to hire a new barley breeder, then restarting that pipeline is a 12 to 15 year start. So it's not like a lot of lab work where you can kind of shut it down and then somebody new can come in a couple of years later and start right up and, and have results in a year or two. It's really a long-term deal. And so shutting a program down is kind of tragic. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah, time is money, too. I would say that my program, if you include my salary, uh, I have 20 workers out there pollinating corn. They're out there. Well, they're not pollinating corn right now. They're harvesting corn right now. Right after I get off the phone, I'm going to 
go start evaluating sweet corn. We get 20 workers out there, uh, summer workers, and we get year-round workers. It's got to be in the neighborhood of two, uh, at minimum, two hundred fifty to five hundred thousand dollars a year. And you mentioned manpower. I'd like to think that every year you have a new batch of eager minds being at the university to help you out on that. But how is getting labor? And is it primarily students? Uh, yes, we usually get students. Summer workers that I have are usually undergraduates at UW-Madison. Often they come from all over the university. Uh, unfortunately, we don't actually have as many undergraduates in the agronomy major as we, we would like, not just from me wanting them to work for me, but also in terms of supplying the workforce in Wisconsin. But that's another question. But yeah, uh, this year, <clears throat> I ante- well, hearing the news in, in the spring, I anticipated labor shortages so we reduced the amount of stuff that we have out in the field this year, and even then, we still couldn't get enough workers. And we have about half the number of workers that we normally have. We're paying them $19 an hour, and we still could only get half the number we need. And then there's a lot of other things going on, too, right? The world went through a pandemic, inflation, geopolitical issues. So how is that all impacting the research space? Labor shortages are really big for us right now, for everyone. But outside of the labor shortages, we're not seeing too much of those other factors. We plan ahead. We have we already have three years of pollinating supplies, meaning bags and staplers and staples and all that. We already have at least three years bought and in, in storage. So we plan ahead. And so we haven't been affected by any of the inflationary, except for, of course, fuel. And, of course, that's a big deal. But fortunately, it's come come down But anyway, yeah, so we haven't been too affected by that except for, talk about inflation, last year we were paying $15 an hour, which is still high, and now we're paying 19 So that's a very inflationary uh, situation there. But in terms of the other major fact, well, COVID has affected everyone in in many different ways, and uh, that I think is one of the big reasons that we're seeing changes in the workforce or, or people choosing not to work. Or, or And there's probably a significant number of people who really still cannot work in terms of, you know, being vulnerable to um, being immunocompromised and vulnerable to sitting in a car with people going to pick corn or something like that. So, yeah, there's all sorts of factors. We're approaching the start of the school year at UW-Madison, and I'm curious what enrollment numbers look like in the agronomy department. You, you mentioned earlier you could use some more students. We don't have enough students um, in, in our program. Uh, I would say that's also true for horticulture and soil science and, and actually most of the production ag departments. Uh, I, think, I think the animal sciences are doing fine, but the plant sciences, are, we don't have enough. Uh, we, would love, we would love to have more people join us, and uh, that's for a number of reasons. Um, obviously, we like to have people take our courses, and, and we, we love to work with young people. But the other problem is, is that we don't – right now, we're not providing enough workers to the Wisconsin ag industry for, for plant science kind of jobs. And there you have it, a look at some of the opportunities for research on campus and also some of the challenges that they're facing in terms of getting students in the door. And that comes from Professor Bill Tracy of the Agronomy Department at the College of Ag and Life Sciences at UW-Madison. He also heads up the Sweet Corn Breeding Program. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.